Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. Welcome to Episode 2, the USS Enterprise. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Marty Singer, who served in the United States Navy during the Vietnam War. During that time, Marty was stationed on an aircraft carrier, which suffered a catastrophic event back in January of 1969. And Marty is here to tell us about it. Hey, Marty, welcome to Your History, Your Story. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, James. I'm glad to be here. So I'm going to ask you you a few questions, if you don't mind. Sure, no problem. Okay, so Marty, I know you enlisted in the United States Navy right out of high school. Is that correct? Yes, it is. I actually enlisted a couple months before my graduation in June of 1967. I went in with a buddy of mine, and they allowed you to join on the buddy system, which meant we both went to boot camp together. So that's what we did. And we enlisted, uh, I think, in May and uh, graduated in June. In July 12th, we were on the way to boot camp at the Great Lakes. Wow, they didn't waste any time, huh? No, no, there wasn't much time in between. A, a few goodbyes and a going away party and adios. <laughs> wow, wow. So after boot camp, you were assigned to your first duty on the USS Enterprise, C-Van 65, which was a nuclear ship and our largest in the fleet. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, it was uh, quite an impressive uh, ship. Uh, we've had over a 5,000-man crew. Uh, she weighed about 90,000 tons. We had eight nuclear reactors, and it was about four football fields long. So you can imagine my uh, my surprise when I got to my duty station and stood on a pier looking up at this massive ship, thinking, that, wow, this is where I'm going to be stationed. Uh, it was just an amazing sight to see it. So you went from a small town in northern New Jersey, just out of high school, to looking at this gigantic ship that you were going to be on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I walked on board, and they uh, what they do, they assign you to different divisions on the ship. They assigned uh, me to the E Division, which E Division is mainly in charge of electrical power on the whole ship, mm-hmm. on the flight deck, the hangar bay, the compartments below. Uh, the whole anything that was, uh, you know, needed electrical power, they were in charge of. That's a pretty big responsibility. So I understand that you had a very serious incident take place while you were on board that ship, right? Yeah, I, I would say it was um, January 14th, 1969. We were actually outside of Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and we were going through uh, combat drills. All ships uh, in the Navy that are going into a combat zone have to go through these uh, drills to prove that we're combat ready. We were getting ready to go to the Tonkin Gulf in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Our jets were loaded with bombs and missiles. The pilots would be bombing islands in the Hawaiian chain, and they would be judged on on their missions, as well as the ship's crew. The ship's crew would have to go to their battle stations and be graded as far as taking care of all the necessary uh, uh, things we needed to do uh, on, you know, battle stations. Then once we passed, once we were given a passing grade for these inspections, then the ship headed overseas to uh, the Tonkin Gulf. And that was your, your mission was going to be then? 
Yeah, our our main mission, um, of course, with all the uh, the aircraft we had on the on the uh, Enterprise, was mainly they were bombing the Ho Chi Minh Trail, mm-hmm. which was a major major supply route for North Vietnamese. So that was uh, that was one of our main main goals and missions. Okay, was that both supplies and men that came down through the Ho Chi Minh Trail? Yeah, they could just about get anything they wanted. They could get, uh, you know, assistance, more troop, you know, food, ammo, whatever, whatever they needed could be passed along there. Our job was try to interrupt that the best we could by bombing the trail. Mm-hmm. So now, uh, so you've, you're on board this ship and uh, it must be just an incredible experience for you to see Pearl Harbor and all that stuff too. And then uh, you're on board this ship and you're doing these exercises and then what happened? Well, actually, uh, this morning, January 14th, I was on my standard watch. You have to, when you're on a ship like that, all men are assigned watches in different areas. And I was on a watch about four decks down in the ship, which is called a steering gear. And that's where one of the main rudders is. We had four rudders on the ship. So I was in that room, that rudder room. I was uh, there for four hours. That would have been my, my time in that room. And at different times, we, we do drills where I take control of the rudder and actually steer, listening to the commanders on the bridge, uh, give you uh, directions, what they want to do, and you follow a, a, a gyroscope, and you follow, it's kind of like a compass. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, where I was that morning. That's where I was located. While I was in that room, of course, I wear a headset where I'm connected to the bridge so I can hear any directions they give me. A short time after being there, um, I heard a, it was like a loud explosion, and his ship actually seemed to to move to rock. So uh, I knew we were supposed to have a general quarters drill that morning. Now, what a general quarters drill is, generally they'll make an announcement and they'll say general quarters. They'll say it like three times, and they'll say all hands man your battle stations. And that's the beginning of any kind of combat situation. That's what they do so they can get their crew to the combat stations. That's what general quarters means. Right. And so this morning, uh, I felt this explosion. I said, wow, you know, they're really starting this drill off with a bang. They must have threw some ordnance off the side of the ship or something. And shortly after that, it was followed by a couple more explosions, and the ship kind of rocked again. And then I heard in my headset, I could hear them saying general quarters, general quarters. But this time, they said, this is not a drill. So when I heard that, I said, wow, this is this changes the scenario here. This is not our morning drill, but there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. So they announced uh, that this was not a drill. At that point in time, I was relieved of my duty in that steering gear. Another man came there. I started, I climbed up the ladder and opened the hatch, and I left the steering gear room. And I was uh, on my way down a passageway, a, a damage control chief was was there in the passageway and he got a hold of me and he says where are you going i said to my damage control station he says no come with me and he brought me up to the uh, hangar bay the hangar bay is uh, an area uh, that's right underneath the flight deck the hangar bay is where we store the aircraft uh, if they're not needed on the flight deck the equipment's down there you know it's, uh, it's a big big area and of course alongside the ship on each side of the ship are aircraft elevators there's huge elevators that they take the aircraft from the hangar bay up to the flight deck. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I guess from the explosions on the flight deck and all the mayhem and the fires that were going on up there, the JP-5 fuel from the some of the jets was running down the elevators and into this hangar bay. Oh my. And there was fires in the hangar bay. It was it was quite the scene. So that's where uh, I, I wound up being on a hose team there and uh, helping try to fight the fire in the hangar bay. So what was really at your core? What was going on in your mind when this was happening? Well, it was. I, I didn't know really. I knew there was something bad. I, I didn't know exactly what because your mind is just going, trying to do the job you were, were given. I, I just couldn't understand what had happened that, that was this uh, catastrophic. But then as I was on the way to that hangar bay, there was what we call bomb elevators. That's where they take the ammunition from the uh, ammunition rooms and they bring it up to the uh, to the other deck so it can go up to the flight deck. Mm-hmm. There was men coming out of those elevators carrying crew members in firemen carries, carrying them under the legs and through. And what drew my attention was I saw two of them go by me. And when I looked, I could see big hunks of shrapnel sticking right through them. Oh, boy. So that kind of, that kind of yeah. really really hit me and it's like what incarnation what has happened so the um seeing that what they do is they they were bringing those men to what they call a domestex that's that's where we chow in the navy on a ship that they call domestex and it's all set up with tables and all your you know your coffee makers and milk machines and it's a big big uh like a dining room in a, a emergency situation they turn everything upside down, and there's big lanterns in the ceiling, and they turn it into an actual operating room. And that's what they were in the process of doing. Uh, I knew looking at that, I said, it's, I mean, this has got to be something really, really terrible that happened. This was no drill, as they said, right? This was no drill. Now, Marty, when you were going through this, I'm sure you had must have had some sort of emergency training uh, before this, but th- did you ever imagine that it would be used so quickly to this extent? You know, it's one of those things. I'll tell you, uh, the Navy is great for, with their training. They, they really, they really uh, hit you with a lot of training. Everyone goes to firefighting school, and it's a it's a pretty uh, a pretty rugged school. I mean, they they uh, send you into buildings that they light on fire with oils and stuff, but they. They show you how to use the hoses and nozzles and, you know, how to put it out and the, the breathing equipment that you have to put on to fight these fires. And every, I'm sure everybody that goes, you know, you do this and, okay, it's a thing I have to do just because I'm aboard the ship. Mm-hmm. But I never thought in my wild you know, imagination that any of this would ever have to come into play for real. How long did this go on for before you were able to all get it under control? Well, uh, I, most of the day, uh, this was started early in the morning, and it was, it was, I, I don't want to say, <laughs> it's a, it's a hard thing to say chaotic, but it was very, very, um, you know, everybody just running in different directions and and trying to do what they could do. And I mean, these poor guys on the flight deck, not only were they fighting the fire to try to put the fires out, but uh, every time a, a bomb would blow up or a missile would explode. You'd have more injured fall down on the deck. Other guys trying to pull them out of the flames, get them away from the fire. And they also had guys that were taking the aircraft that were still loaded with bombs and missiles and trying to push them off the side of the ship. We we got quite a few planes and uh, were pushed right off the side, fully loaded. So they didn't go up. Wow. Yeah. Marty, were there 
Were there men killed on this disaster? Oh, yeah. Yeah, by the time the day was over, I mean, when we were finally back into going into port, um, I, I think we found out, we didn't know right away, but we, we found out later that night that we had 28 dead and we had 347 injured. Oh, my goodness. What an awful, awful tragedy that, that was. Oh, yeah. One of the things I, I think about is that that was a lot of people, but how many how many men did you say were were on the ship at the time, approximately? Over over five thousand. Yeah, could so could. it was. Yeah, it, it could have been. Of course, it could have been a lot worse because we are a nuclear ship. Mm-hmm. We we carry you know we carry a lot of ammunition, bombs and missiles for the um, for the, uh, for the jobs that these uh, air wings have to do, and a lot of fuel jet fuel for these planes is on board i mean this could have this could have really just sunk the whole ship it, it could have got a lot worse but we had a very smart captain a very brave crew and that ship was saved wow wow that's that's an amazing amazing story to think that they were able to get it under control because it sounded to me like you just couldn't predict which which rocket was going to go off which bomb was going to explode and what direction things would fly yeah you're right. I mean, that's it, it could have got a, if it got away from us more. Where there was now, don't forget what all these bombs blowing up. When the bombs blow up on a flight deck, they don't just blow up and then disintegrate and blow into air. They're blowing downwards with that force, just like they were dropped from a plane. So there was several holes, big, big, giant holes torn through the flight deck that reached down four, five, six decks. Oh boy. Wow. Marty, did they, what was, obviously there must have been some kind of an investigation done after this happened. Did, what, what happened with the investigation? Yeah, they did. Um, actually, what they found was the causes. Before we get ready to put planes on the catapults, uh, they have to be, you know, they get towed into position and or the pilot will uh, manually, uh, you know, uh, taxi it to position. But what we have on board are these they look like small yellow jeeps. They're called huffers. And what they can do with those huffers, they can actually connect these hot air hoses to the turbines on the jets, and they can pre-start the engines on the, on the jets. And what they found was that one of these huffers, the hot exhaust coming from the back of that huffer, was blowing on the head of one of the Zuni missiles that was on the wing of one of our jets. And that missile just misfired and blew up, and the rest was like dominoes. Oh my goodness, what a what a catastrophe! You know, it's oh yeah, it was wicked. It must have been an unbelievable sight that I can't even imagine. I've seen some uh, newsreel photographs and videos of the disaster, and I can imagine that uh, that this incident found its way onto the news back at home. So one of the things that really popped into my mind when I when you tell me this story is what were your parents at home thinking what did they hear what did they know what didn't they know yeah that was a, another thing um my dad worked for Curtis Wrights in Woodridge at the time of course he went to work that morning like he did every morning when he had gotten into work there was a few friends of his and they were gathered around and a couple of them were listening to the radio and there was a TV in his uh, foreman's office. They uh, heard and saw what had happened. All his friends, uh, I knew a lot of his friends, and his friends all knew that I was on that ship. 
So, um, of course, they were flashing, of course, the TV. Uh, they're saying, you know, there are there are fatalities and there are many injured. So after the foreman heard this and a couple of his friends came in and talked to the foreman, they uh, they came out to where my father was on his machine and asked him to shut off the machine and come in the office. And he did. And then they, they kind of told him what was going on. And they had one of his friends bring him home. Yeah. So what he did for the rest of the day, he got home. And believe it or not, I think my sister still has these today. He actually got his movie camera out, his 8-millimeter movie camera. And he took movies off the TV. And you could see when they would go to it on the news, you'd see the ship burning, the black smoke coming up, billowing up out of it. He's got the whole thing on, on video there. But what they were most concerned about, of course, was the casualties and was I one of them. Oh, my goodness. I can only imagine how scared they were. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, after, after seeing all that, my, my mother actually, uh, she tried calling the Navy Department and, of course, couldn't get through several times. But she was able to hook up with a telephone operator from New Jersey Bell, who was really fantastic and helped her. And she got through to a, uh, I guess, to the, to the uh, Navy Department. And they told her that they were compiling lists at the time. It still wasn't complete. And uh, they said, if you don't hear by tomorrow or whatever, that they uh, they would have a full list out. And uh, they said that hopefully the survivors uh, would be able to try to make a phone call home once the ship was safely berthed again. So that's the, the kind of news they got. So it was like a sit-and-wait situation. That's a torment. I'm sure that was torment. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I finally got to call them. Um, I guess it was oh late the next day. I mean, again, you got five thousand men on there. You have all of the set up phone backs in the hangar bay. Once we once we got into port, they were able to do it. So you had long, long line of uh, sailors, you know, trying to get messages out. So I guess it, I think it was late the next day, late the next afternoon, that I finally got a phone call off. And you can imagine what that phone call was like. <laughs> and a celebration in New Jersey, no. I bet. <laughs> oh, that is unbelievable. So after the uh, the incident, what, what happened to the ship? Did you go back to Pearl Harbor? What happened? Yeah, we uh, we got escorted in. We got the, It came in under own power, believe it or not. We got back into Pearl Harbor, and the, that's where the ship was for several months and uh, was repaired. And when it was repaired, we completed our inspection, and we went over to Vietnam and were able to go back to the Tonkin Gulf and complete our mission. Wow. Well, thank you so much for your service and uh, all those men, oh, you're welcome. All those men on board that ship, uh, the sacrifices that were made. Uh, oh, so- I'm not kidding. Yeah. Unbelievable. So you were discharged in 1971 from the Navy. And then yeah. in 1973, I guess you decided you didn't have enough adventure <laughs> with danger. And you decided to join the Wanakew, New Jersey Police Department. And what I yeah, understand, sorry, I understand uh, that you also had some incident that happened there on top of all the well, dangerous yeah, duties you already had. Yeah, that's. That's certainly true. And I, uh, yeah, I did. I, I was able to join the Wanaku PD. I was only on a short time. Uh, I think it was less than a year. I attended our municipal court one evening. Our judge was in his 70s at the time. Nice man. 
and he was proceeding over court cases and a lot of myself and other officers, you know, that have several court cases, summonses or arrests or whatever they have were all in court. While we were there, these uh, three young men, young men, and when I say young men, they were juveniles, and they started acting up and uh, carrying on in court. And the judge, uh, he don't stand for that. He stopped court and he uh, asked us to remove them from from court. So they were they were told to leave, and uh, they left court and left the building and went on to resuming the the rest of court. And within a short time later, there was a noise heard in the courtroom, and the judge kind of kind of stood up and he fell sideways alongside the desk. One of the guys jumped over the rail, went over by him and everything else. And here there was a bank of three windows behind him. And here was a hole in the one window. He had, he was uh, shot through through one of those windows. Came oh The bullet came through the window, through his chair, and into his back. Of course, everybody started looking for the shooter. You know, they were taking care of him. The rest of the guys, everybody's looking for the shooter. And make a long story short, when the investigation was winding up, uh, we found that it was one of the three that we tossed out and his two friends were with him. And they went across the street from our municipal building. You know, they were, they were drunk. They had a 22 rifle. The blinds were shut on a courtroom window and they thought they would uh, scare him for throwing him out of court. So they shot through the window. Only they shot low enough that it went right through his chair and into his back and into his lungs. And the poor man died at the hospital. Oh my goodness. Another tragedy. Yeah. I'll tell you that. Now, you, how long were you on the police department for, Marty? At that, at that time? Well, at that time, I was only on less than a year. Less but I spent year. 25 years there, yeah. 25 years. So I'm sure uh, you had a lot of different brushes with danger on the police department. But this story about the Enterprise uh, is one that I think is something I, I think a lot of people should know about because I don't think it's widely talked about sometimes, uh, things that happened that were really yeah. important in this country's history about the bravery that was displayed and well it really don't forget you know when you think about it not that there wasn't men that maybe in their say 30s uh maybe even early 40s you know while some officers or whatever but you know your crew is made up of a lot of 18 19 20 year old kids and when this incident kind of happens like this don't forget there's no place to run to you can't run away you can't get away you're there like I say, the, everything goes out to these men on this crew because they held their ground. They fought the fire. They had to put these fires out. They had to take care of the engine. Uh, they had to move these planes around. The captain still had to worry about this ship. Uh, is it going down? And the officers that were on there. And uh, it, it was just an amazing feat that it wasn't worse than it was. And that's that's really um, a blessing. And it's definitely a kudos to, to that crew. Well, Marty, you're... First of all, you got a fantastic memory. It was so uh, well put in detail, and I'm so glad that you're able to share it with us all. But before I let you go, I have one more question to ask you. Regarding, okay. regarding the story you just shared, can you tell our right. listeners how your experience on the U.S. Enterprise impacted your life and who you are today? Wow. Well, I, I would have to say... That number one, it shows you um, your fortitude and your uh, your upbringing and your training, and it, it shows what a, a bunch of men like that can do together. It also shows you um, faith. It, it just it, it affected me in a lot of ways to the point of 
I grew up from, you know, 18 years old real quick. When I, when I, so when I got out of the service after going through that, not that you, you would say, oh, there's nothing I can't do, but, but you come out and you say, look, I've been through one of the worst things that could probably happen. And uh, so let me go on to my next phase in life here and see what that's going to bring. But uh, when I, you know, a lot of times I get a little annoyed because I think too many people use the word hero too often. And uh, what I mean by that is there are heroes. And that day there was certainly a lot of them. And those are true heroes. And I believe that word should be really preserved for people that like that. Wow. That's a, that is, this is such an amazing story. And thank you for that answer. I know I put you on the spot on that one. I want to thank you again, Marty. Uh, your story of bravery has inspired me and I'm sure many others. And I hope you have a great evening and thank you so much for joining us on your history, your story. Well, thanks, James, and I hope your listeners are are interested in that story. Thank you very much. Okay, Mart. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. Please subscribe, share, and check out our website at yourhistoryyourstory.com for episode notes and bonus content. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well, and God bless.